You're listening to the Girls on the Grid podcast with Tanaya and Priya. Welcome back to the Girls on the Grid podcast. This week, I caught up with New Zealand rally driver and McLaren factory driver in the Extreme E team, Emma Gilmore. You might have heard her feature quickly on one of the episodes we did earlier this year, but this time she's here for a bit of a longer chat about how she got started in motorsport, about her rally career, and more recently about her opportunity to race uh, with McLaren in their Extreme E program. So I hope you guys enjoy the chat and let's just jump straight in. Right, guys, so I'm here in New Zealand and I've run into, and by run into, I mean uh, we actually had planned time to catch up. (laughs) I'm here with Emma Gilmore. Now, Emma Gilmore is a rally driver from New Zealand. She's also a McLaren factory driver. Yes, she is teammates with Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris. All you uh, Drive to Survive girls, just calm down a little bit. So it's really cool that we've had the opportunity to catch up. Emma has been on the pod once before when we asked her what Dare to be Different meant to her. But now she's here for a little bit of a chat about her career, where she's at now, 2023. And we're definitely going to ask her all about uh, the McLaren Association. So Emma, welcome to the Girls in the Grid podcast. Thanks for having me. Worked out well, didn't it? (laughs) It it did work out well. So you are currently in Auckland for all of about five hours? Yeah, yeah. It, it worked out really well, actually, because uh, we had to do some filming for Castrol, who's been a very long-term uh, supporter of mine with my rallying. And uh, I knew you were coming over for doing some filming with some other ambassadors. And I was like, I'm going to be out of the country that week. But I am flying through Auckland. I can change my flight. So yeah, so we made it all work. So it's yeah, it's worked out really well. And where are you off to next in about two hours yeah, from now? Off to Uruguay. So via Chile, we'll fly Auckland to Santiago and then on to Montevideo. So yeah, so very exciting. So that's for the last round of the Extreme E series. So hard to believe we're already at the last round. Uh, the year's kind of gone quite fast. So um, yeah, looking forward to it. And how long of that is on a plane? <laughs> how long <is> <laughs> you don't add it up because then it's just too much. So it's like, just get on that plane and I'll get off at the other end. I think I've got a couple of hours wait and... Chile as well so I get to I get to Uruguay it'll still be Sunday but about eight o'clock Sunday night their time so it's a very long Sunday. Do you enjoy the the long international trips does it absolutely kill you with the jet lag? I think I'm getting the hang of it I mean I feel very fortunate to have been able to travel in the last couple of years uh, and to be going to some amazing places as well uh, around the world so I I see it as a privilege rather than uh, you know seeing it as as being you know too um, arduous I guess. Is your frequent flyer status like awesome? (laughs) It kind of is but then like for example like at the moment going down into South America it's not normally a place where I would travel so uh yeah so I don't know when I'll be back there next hopefully for next year um I think there might be around in Brazil next year I think they're talking about so so 2022 how has the year been for you we actually just did a really cool like Castro chat and you and you told me all these things but what has the year been like a little bit of you know New Zealand rally Lots of extreme e. Yeah, I mean, being part of McLaren, it's been a bit of a fairy tale on that side of things. Like uh, you mentioned Daniel and Lando uh, in your intro. I mean, got to meet them at the start of the year when we did the big team launch. And uh, yeah, it's very surreal uh, to be, you know, 
meeting these guys that you're watching on TV one moment and then you're part of having a dinner with them the next. So that's been pretty cool. Uh, and then got to go to the Goodwood um, Festival as well, which has always been on my bucket list of motorsport events to do. So to go there and I got to drive an iconic F1 GTR up the hill. So that was again another pinch me moment. Uh, and then racing alongside Tanner in the series. Um, it's been a pretty, it was a rough start. We, we wrote the car off or rolled the car, sorry, at the first event in Saudi. So the team had a big job um, rebuilding the car. And then in the very next round uh, in Sardinia, uh, I got um, touched by another car on the start line. And again, we rolled the car and the team had another rebuild. So two cars and two events was a really tough start to the team, but really close knit team and uh, an amazing effort. Like the, the team and the conditions they were working in in Sardinia especially, we're out in the, because we basically had to go again in a few days time to go for round three, because it was a double header. So they're working in nearly 40 degree temperature in a tent and they rebuild this car. It was just amazing, amazing teamwork. Um, and then, you know, we had a pretty solid race there and then we had a great race in Chile where we had really good speed. Um, touched a couple of flags, so it was a bit disappointing. Would have been nice to have got a trophy, but no, we ended up just uh, crossing the line first, but uh, nothing to show for it, so it was a bit disappointing. But we had good speed, so it was good. So touching a couple of flags, what? how does Extreme E work in that sort of, because I don't think a lot of it, it's not really a big thing. Yeah. You know, was, over... Well, it was an interesting, so just how Extreme works in general, you want me to Oh, yeah, just tell us, yeah. tell us about so, the category. Um, I mean, I suppose it's, it's a bit more like a rallycross track that they'll set up in terrain that's never seen a race course before. So you'll be out, um, like in Sardinia, for example, you're in an army base. So, you know, there's some tracks there, but it's not designed for a race like with our cars. Mm. So uh, they mark out a course using flags. Um, and generally the flags are more, they're quite wide and they give you sort of the general direction of the track and you have to keep within the flags to, to stay on course. Um, in Chile, they uh, again had the same idea, but it's, it was a bit more of a purpose-built course and it was a shorter course that we did two laps of. But because it was kind of a bit more like a racetrack where every flag was, was kind of like at the apex. <laughs> so oh. if you were getting your apex spot on, there was also a chance you were going to knock the flag over. Right. And once you're racing with dust and other cars around you, it became quite difficult at times to see the flags. So mm. um, the penalty for knocking a flag over is 10 seconds, which is wow. pretty huge. Yeah. And for missing a gate, it's like five seconds. So it's, um, yeah, the, mm. it was, uh, we were pretty heavily penalised. So um, It's interesting... Yeah. Like motorsport deals in tens and I know. You know thousands of a second, and here is yeah giving away ten seconds for a touching a flag. Yeah, wow, that's which is crazy. So I think it's I mean it's a new series, so they're still working things out, and and I think Chile sort of um, the last round there it really probably highlighted a few things that needed to be a bit more polished going forward, mm. and and that's the beauty of the series is that it's still sort of young and dynamic, and they're changing as they learn. So um, yeah, it's it's all part of the learning process. And it must be hard to get something completely new off the ground. Obviously, Extreme E stands for electric and Formula E, and it's kind of looks like the path that we're, you know, we're following um, into the future. So how do you think we get these, you know, E-formulated um, categories into the mainstream? 
Yeah, well, I think that's what Extreme E has done very well because they haven't taken an existing kind of motorsport and just electrified it. They've, they've created something completely new. Mm. And, and I think what's, what's super cool about it is, you know, it's all about racing without leaving a trace. And so it's showing that we can race in a sustainable way. Um, and I think that's really important for the future going forward, that, that we are thinking about what we're doing to the planet and, and, and how our sport impacts. And, you know, but we're doing it hopefully in, a, in an exciting way that is also educating people and bringing people along um, for the ride with it. So not only is Extreme E, you know, making waves in the electric powered motorsport side of things, but it's also making waves in something that we love here, <laughs> which is women in motorsport and women progressing through the ranks of motorsport. Now, Extreme E is the first category ever to mandate that when you have two drivers, one must be a male and one must be a female. So it's a 50% gender split on the grid. Like that, how could, oh, <laughs> it's so cool. It it's, is so cool, so, so cool. And uh, funnily enough, when I first heard about Extreme E, I was like, and I was talking about this, it's gonna be in remote locations and we're doing this and that. And I was like, oh, it's a video game. Like I thought it was a simulator mm. series because it was that, you know, sort of future based. And then they're like, no, no, it's real. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. You know, because I think, you know, the thing that I, I just really love about the series is, as you say, it's 50-50 males and females on the grid, but we are 100% as important in that car as the male driver. And, and I think many times through my motorsport career, I've had really cool opportunities through being a female driver, but it's not always the case that you're given the same equipment. You know, you're more there flying the flag as a promotional mm. opportunity that you're a chick in a male sport. And, you know, extremely isn't that. You know, you are a very, very integral part of that team. So it, it's awesome to see the progression of the female drivers over the last, you know, nearly two seasons and that, um, you know, the girls are now, you know, as quick as the guys. And if you're watching from outside the car, you know, I don't know who's driving, you know, because the girls have improved that much just by giving an opportunity to mm. showcase their ability. So it's really, it's, it's done wonders for women in motorsport and it's, it's, it's shown that we deserve to be given that opportunity. And how does, like, forgive me for my ignorance, but how does an Extreme E weekend work in terms of driver sharing? Like, is there, do you have your own practice sessions? I honestly haven't watched yeah. a lot of it. It's very hard to well, find in Australia. And, and even when you are watching it, you wouldn't necessarily know how hard it is. So so the real challenge with Extreme E is that um, we get really little time in the car driving. So uh, it's because you're in the middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere, yeah. the cars are um, electric, so they need to be charged, they need to be cooled. Um, but also, you know, it's all about you know, not doing unnecessary um, mileage on the vehicles, you know, so it's all about that, you know, um, not leaving a trace. So we walk the course um, and then we have a practice session and say the course is, um, say the lap is seven kilometres long, um, I will get into the car and I will drive the car up to the start line and then I will race that seven kilometres, come into a driver switch area where I will jump out of the car and I'll... Um, help Tanner, my teammate, get into the car. We've got 45 seconds to do that driver switch before he then leaves the pit zone. And then he does his seven kilometre lap and goes over the finish line. And that's the end of our time to run. So it's kind of like a relay in some ways. It's sort of like pass the car on to your next driver. So that was free practice one. So we then get at the same again in the afternoon. Um, generally Tanner will then start. So we both get an opportunity doing each other. So again, another lap. Um, each and then you're into qualifying. 
So it's like, go from walking a course, which I can tell you, my walking speed to then going out at 100 kilometres an hour over it, quite different. Um, and, you know, knowing how the car's going to react over the bumps or, you know, it just, it's so different. So really, really challenging. And, you know, there's just no warm up, you know, I'll be chatting like I am with you, you know, with the mechanics and the team, and then bang, you're in the car on the start line onto it and so it's, wow. it's challenging yeah. really really challenging so there's then two qualifying sessions the first qualifying session is just a time trial which we then get um, ranked from first to tenth and put into uh, two five car grids for qualifying two then from then is uh, into the semi-finals and then only the top five cars go through to the final on the Sunday afternoon so not a lot of driving at all if, if you have a successful weekend you'll do six driving efforts Wow, of seven kilometer loops. Yeah, or around that, depending on the track. How long roughly does a 7K take? Does it depend Depends on the terrain? Depends a little bit, yeah, on the terrain. Uh, for example, in Chile, it was a shorter course. It was like three kilometers, but we did it twice before the driver switch. Um, and off the top of my head, I think, because like, it was quite a fast track, I think we were about three minutes or something, mm. over three minutes of driving, so it was fast, it was fast there, yeah. And so the cars, inside the car, do you hear any car noise? Like, what's it, um, yeah, how, how different is it to your rally car that obviously... It's, it's really funny because I've kind of got used to driving the electric car and... Um, <laughs> Why is it so Odyssey. noisy in here? Yeah, well, yeah, because you still, because we're on a loose surface, you still have the gravel mm. noise and the underbody and the and the, um, the suspension working. And, and so it's still quite noisy, but obviously no real engine noise. It's just the, the wind from the batteries. Um, and then I get into my rally car and my Suzuki back here in New Zealand, and I'm like, man, this car is not loud. It's like, wow. Has it always been this yeah. loud? <laughs> Speak up, co-driver. I can't hear you. So, um, yeah. So let's talk about your rally. Your rally, obviously, that's your rally driver. Yeah. That's how you got into the Extreme E thing. Yes. Same as maybe Molly Taylor, who's been on our podcast before. She yep. got into Extreme E from being a rally driver here in Australia. Let's talk about how you got started. You know, how did how did you end up behind the wheel of a race car? Yeah, it's uh, if you'd asked me when I was sitting at high school what I was going to be doing in you know twenty years time, it definitely wouldn't have been this. Um, I was a competitive horse rider when I was at school, similar to Molly. Um, did the horse riding and um, loved the thrill of cross country and and loved the horses. Always loved animals, but um, as I got into my early twenties. Uh, you know, the horses hadn't quite read the game plan of what we were going to be doing. And I was like, yeah, and I had a few friends who had bad accidents. And I was like, oh, I'm not so sure about this. And I had always grown up around cars. My dad's a mechanic and um, my granddad on my mum's side, also a mechanic. So just used to cars and cars always been around and dad building things in the garage. Um, wherever we went as children, me and my sister in the back seat of the car, it went very, very quickly. So we're always used to cornering G-forces and acceleration. <laughs> um, and I always enjoyed going pillion on my dad's motorbike. And so I always enjoyed speed. Um, but yeah, so enjoyed driving once I got my license, but never, you know, it wasn't like I went out and played in gravel roads or did boy things like that. I'll say boy things being stereotypical, but you know, I, was, I suppose I was, I enjoyed driving, but never imagined having a future in it. Uh, my cousin and my sister started getting into rallying, they'd done go-karting, and so I started as the navigator for them, and then uh, basically had an opportunity to, to um, buy a car so I could do uh, a tarmac rally in New Zealand. So I bought um, my cousin's Mitsubishi Evo 3, um, did a tarmac event in it, 
and I just thought it was just so much fun having a road to yourself with no one coming the other way, go as fast as you want to. And um, there was about 100 cars in the field and we, we won our class and I was six overall. And I, honestly, I just didn't think anything of it. It was just like, oh, that was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. And then I thought, oh, I've got this car. I might as well have a go at driving on gravel. Asked a friend. Um, he ended up becoming my partner. Uh, if he would come over and sit beside me to um, teach me how to drive on a gravel, you know, by doing the course car at the Otago Rally, which is my home event. And, um, yeah, we did that. And I don't think I declared to him that... Um, I'd never driven on gravel. So when we were heading out to, to the first stage, I said to him, I said, so how do you drive on gravel? And he thought I was making a joke. As you like buckled <laughs> up in the thing, ready to go. And I wasn't making a joke. So, but it was great. So he, he, he was a professional co-driver. And, you know, one of the difficulties with rallying, probably not so much now because in-car cameras are so much better. But back then, um, you know, you don't really see what's happening with footwork and wheel work from outside a car. So having a really good co-driver who had sat beside some top drivers, he was able to tell me, you know, good tips and, you know, how to drive well. So, yeah, so it sort of started the journey and, and it was his encouragement that said, if you want to do it as more than a hobby, you've got the natural ability there and um, entered my first rally from that point on and then just sort of started that journey of, of finding sponsorships and, and, and you know, chasing that dream. You know, obviously I wanted to, to go to the World Rally Championship. That was the dream when I first started. Um, and I got lots of amazing overseas opportunities. And, uh, you know, I sort of wish that I had the experience I had now back then when I was younger. But, you know, there's no shortcut, shortcut for experience. But, um, you know, I think along the way I learned that, uh, you know, the, the, the enjoyment is in the journey and it's in the people 100%. you meet. It's the experiences you have. It's the places you visit. It's all of that. And there's going to be no you know, essentially making it, that's going to be, you've made it, you know. So once I sort of recognised that and realised that I just love the driving part of it, it's like, you know, you just keep, you know, making the most of the journey as, as long as it lasts. So, yeah, it's great. And it's been, been gone for a while now. It has, yeah. It's kind of weird. It's like, where did that time go? And I guess that's the thing, you go from season to season. It's like, wow, yeah, I have been racing for quite some time now. Yeah, and you still love it as much as the day you yeah, started? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely had times where I've, you know, where I've come close to giving it up. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. And, I don't and think you'd talk to any race car no. driver that said that <laughs> they didn't want to think about. Yeah, and yeah. I think, um, you know, and, and quite often I get asked, you know, what are you most proud of and, you know, in, in your achievements? And, and one of the things I think I'm most proud of is the fact that I didn't give up. You know, you're sort of, you're thankful to your younger self mm. for having the, tenacity or the determination the to just stick it at it yeah, yeah. through those disappointments because um yeah I mean motorsport's so cruel so so cruel I don't think you could get a crueler motor or a crueler sport because there's just so much involved with it you know it's the finding the the sponsorship the you know all the people that come along with you on the journey and then you know something mechanical can fail mm. or you can hit a rock that had been pulled out by the computer in front on the you know first stage or you or get all your budget together you line up on the line and two cars crash together yeah. in front of you <laughs> exactly you know and and it's just yeah. it's heartbreaking you know mm. so it's um but then the, the the flip side of that is that the highs are just so enjoyable mm. that you think gosh you know you kind of become addicted to the thrill of it all so yeah 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 it's amazing so I guess for any rally driver, especially one that's grown up in New Zealand, it's we're far removed, you know, like it's it's hard to say that when, you know, we're not a hop and a skip and a jump away from, you know, the next country or something like that. It is probably harder for, for you know, people growing up so far away from all the action, like the World Rally <laughs> Championship 
comes over, just come back for the first time in a couple of years due to all the COVID things. But, you know, as a rally driver, obviously the World Rally Championship is the pinnacle, I'd assume, for, for pretty much anyone. You'd want to be able to compete, you know, on the stage with the best. You did do a couple of support races in some WRC rounds. Do you wish, you know, sort of not ever getting to that that pinnacle of the sport, do you still feel like you've succeeded in, in what you've done? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a great question because, uh, you know, part of me will probably always feel frustrated that I didn't get to do more WRC events. But I think in the time that I've been rallying, it's probably changed quite dramatically. Like I think of that era when I first started, you know, there was there was more factory cars, um, there was more uh, drives there, I suppose, and then you had the likes of factory teams still supporting like Asia Pacific campaigns mm. and all that sort of stuff. So there was probably more drives out there. As in, you now look at the you know the the championship, and they've just announced all the driver lineups for. 2023 and it's just a shuffle of the same <laughs> like mm, it's not actually yeah. that exciting because it's like well where's some new talent coming mm. in or you know who's been able to step up to the main category so um you know it is just such and I suppose that's the thing you get as you get older you recognize that uh you know it's 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 timing it's money there's so many things that come into it um you know I feel like I have still succeeded because you know, even though New Zealand rallying is um, is largely amateur, you know, you're not going to get paid to rally here in New Zealand. Uh, I've been able to, through my relationships from motorsport, I've got a Suzuki car dealership that came off the back of having a motorsport relationship with Suzuki. Um, and then, you know, through all my partners, like with Castrol and Vantage, they've been with me for nearly 20 years. Vantage, obviously Castrol have been with me since the start, but... Um, you know, I, I feel very fortunate to be able to rally for so long because that's an achievement in itself, really, um, to be able to keep doing it. Um, and then obviously through by doing that, I've been here for the timing of Extreme E to come out, give women a chance to shine on the world stage and to be able to be part of that. And you're on the ground floor of what will probably be, you know, the big thing in the future, like the way we're going, you know, you're, in, you're at the, you'd be like, you know, yeah being at the start of Formula One. Yeah, you know? well, I think, what I think's been really exciting with Extreme E is, again, I keep coming back to the, you know, the 50-50 male and female grid, because I don't think enough sports are mm. doing that, you know, and because and it's just so much more interesting seeing males and females compete together, especially when it is, um, it's machinery. There's no reason why we can't compete together mm. equally. So, um, yeah, so I think it's really exciting for the future, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned we were just having a, like a little chat beforehand. You mentioned that you were chatting to one of your engineers and we we're talking about F1. You know, the big topic is they've recently just announced the new F1 Driver Academy, which is an academy for women. Not that it says, you know, this is the Women's F1 Driver Academy. It's not called the W Series, but it is an academy for women only to help them progress up through the ranks. You're actually saying before that one of your engineers at some point actually made a really good point about, you know, maybe why we don't see more women. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, so I'm very fortunate in Extreme E. I work with two very talented uh, engineers who happen to be female, um, and uh, and they've both got a huge wealth of experience from their different racing categories. That you said that they in. did Le Mans and, and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, so, so Lena, um, she uh, was the first woman engineer to win Le Mans, which is pretty oh, special. Um, but yeah, we, we were discussing Formula One and, and women getting there um, one day, and... Um, we were just discussing about, you know, some of the car designs, and I can't remember which category it was she mentioned, but, 
you know, like the tubs themselves are pretty narrow. You know, they're more designed for a male hip than a female <laughs> hip. And, um, you know, and there's certain things that, you know, if we made the cars maybe a bit more, um, it's easier is the wrong word, but if a more level playing field mm. so women weren't so disadvantaged by our um, physical, you know, um, The things sizing. we can't change. Yeah, the yeah. things we can't change, then it would make it a more level playing field for us to shine. Um, and I guess that that is part of it. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's an exciting time for women in motorsport. And I think Drive to Survive has been a great part of that because it's, it's showcasing um, how exciting motorsport mm. and the motoring industry is. And I think that, uh, you know, it's obviously the, the drivers um, get the spotlight, but there's so many roles. But even look at like As Gunther. You know, so many roles. But even look it? at like Gunther Steiner. Yeah. Like yeah. he is his, his own his own little cult. <laughs> he's got his own cult following. You Absolutely. know? Like and he's yeah. he's a team engineer. He's got a full like like fan pages yeah. and memes about him. Yeah. It's it's made F one like Hollywood. Like yes, it's it absolutely. seriously is yeah Hollywoodized, you know? Yeah. It's it's incredible. Yeah, I think and I think it, it's shown it's it's shown how much how much of a team sport it is oh, because you know in the past where you just watch a sport you just see the stars at the front but you don't realize all of the people mm. behind it and I think that's something I overlooked when I started motorsport because I thought if you're talented you'll just get to the top yeah. and then you recognize it's like oh everyone's talented <laughs> it's <laughs> like oh you oh, need really good that. engineers and you need really good mechanics and you need all this other support not only do you need money but you need yeah. this and this and this yeah. and this yeah, there's, it's, it's such a team sport mm. and it's so overlooked. And uh, I watched um, a Fangio documentary on Netflix the other day and, and he was just talking about the importance of mechanics. And, I mean, we couldn't do what we do mm. without these amazing um, you know, mechanics that work on our cars and ensure that the car is going to be safe and fast and, and competitive. So such a team sport. Mm. Definitely. And I'm just like a media chick and I'm like, <laughs> You tell yeah. our story. Mate, I helped win that championship. <laughs> Woo! Exactly. <laughs> It's all part of it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Like just recently, Tony Dalberto won the, the TCR yes. championship yeah. in Australia. And I just honestly felt like I'd won the championship. <laughs> all I've done in the room this year is make videos. <laughs> but just when you're in that team environment and, you know, whether it's the team owner that's celebrating or whether it's the mechanic that's celebrating yeah. or, you know, Tony's wife or anything like that, you feel like everyone's just won the championship. Yeah. But really, the only person who's won the championship, you know, the only one that puts it on their team, their thing, yeah. driver, you know, sure. champion driver. Yeah. But then you have the champion team. Absolutely. And, and you have the sponsors who are tied into the championship. Yeah. And it's such a big thing. Like, yeah. it's not, it's, oh, anyone yeah. that says it's, you know, you're yeah. in sport, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's, um, and, and that's what's so special about it, I think, mm. because, um, yeah, you're not going to get there by chance if you, if you do make it to the top. You've had to be able to, you know, work as a part of a team and, and make your team, you know, um, be around you to support you to the top step. 100%. And on that note, what does your 2023 look like? It's looking exciting. Yeah. I mean, gosh, where did 2022 go? It's like exactly. 2023 is just here now, really. Uh, so, yeah, so second season with uh, McLaren Extreme E, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, and then got exciting things happening with the New Zealand Rally Championship as well. So yet to be announced, but it's all, looking, all looking very good for oh, the She's for teasing. Yeah. Teasing on the podcast. <laughs> and because we are here with Castrol, I did just want to give a quick shout out to Castrol. Now, they've supported you from day dot, they you know, have. they support yep. your car dealership, they support yep. your New Zealand Rally Championship. Why do you choose to 
you know, partner with such an awesome company. Yeah, I mean, I feel really lucky that I've, I've had them as part of my journey for for, um, for the whole time because um, great products. Uh, and, you know, every time I've, because I've driven quite a different lot of cars over the years, um, you know, every time I get a new car, it's like, oh, this needs this type of oil. And you can just ring up the technical team and mm. they're, they're just so knowledgeable. But, um, yeah, I mean, Castro, I mean, it's been part of motorsport for so long. Such an it's iconic such, name, isn't it? It is an iconic name. So, um, yeah, I'm a very proud ambassador of Castro. It's, it's been a great part of the journey. And you made me laugh before by telling me what your favourite product is yeah. and why. <laughs> well, it's got to be brake fluid. <laughs> I've only experienced once where I've gone for the brakes in a rally car and it's like, oh, where did the brake pedal go? Oh, my God. Terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. So, yeah, you can only go fast if you know you can stop. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, and to wrap up this podcast in typical Girls in the Grid fashion, what is your advice for anyone who wants to get into the sport, whether it be through rally driving or whatever the future looks like, you know, yeah. if they're, you know, whatever age they are, but it just just know that they something about this sport, yeah. you know? Like 10 years ago for me, there was something about it that I was just, just glued to. Yeah. What is your advice for someone who feels that way and just wants to become involved? Yeah, I mean, just do it. I mean... Find a local car club in New Zealand. I think that's Nike trademark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nike, thank you. Yes, please, please, Brandon. Um, no, I mean, in New Zealand, we have lots of um, local car clubs and, you know, you don't have to have a car. You don't have to be doing the driving seat. You know, there's marshalling, there's organising. There's just so many different ways to get involved with motorsport. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful community. I've got, you know, that's one of the best things about it is the friendships that you make and the, and the people you meet. And you're out there having adventures and making stories. It's, it's just so, so cool. And the thing I love about motorsport people is everyone's sort of got a can-do attitude, you know, because there's always going to be disappointments and hiccups in life, but you know, motorsport people kind of know how to roll with it and focus forward and just get on with it. So, yeah, just just do it. You'll love it. Amazing. All right. Thank you for your time on the Girls in the Group podcast, Emma Gilmore. Thank you. And enjoy Chile or wherever you're going to. Uruguay. Uruguay. <laughs> buy a Chile. Yeah, buy I was a Chile. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now we thank Emma for her time on the Girls on the Grid podcast today. It was great to catch up with her. We've been planning it for a while and also a huge thanks to Castro Racing for bringing both myself and Emma together to make this pod happen. So really enjoyed the chat. Actually had a blast sitting you know, in person with someone and uh, just chatting about something that we both love, which is motorsport. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we will talk to you very soon. Bye. You've just listened to another Network R production.